quickly just starts um, start with something from my own life. I, you know, when when I got saved, it's so beautiful how God changes all areas of your life. He doesn't only change like the very hectic things, but He changes so many areas. And I remember at school, I was I was not so interested in schoolwork. I was basically interested in friends and tennis. And those two sort of were the only things that I that I was interested in at school. You can see I was a tennis player. I had these biceps and <laughs> just thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> but those were the only things that I was actually interested in. I, I didn't serve God. I wasn't interested in schoolwork. I would no, I wouldn't do homework. I would just sort of try and get by. I didn't know what I was going to do after school. That wasn't a big area of my life. And then I got saved. And it's so interesting how God even came into that area of my life. I started writing neater. My handwriting is completely different than pre-salvation. Completely different. It's a weird thing, but if I look at my handwriting before I got saved and after I got saved, it changed completely. My schoolwork started going up. I started doing much better, started putting some effort into it. Um, So lots of things changed, but one thing that did not change in me, and I hope it never changes, is I decided I want to keep my sense of humor. Because, you know, even, even as a Christian, we are allowed to have a sense of humor. Amen? <laughs> this is not what I'm going to get back to my story now, but just on a sense of humor, it backfires. If you see here, uh, I just fell off my scooter on the way here because I was trying to be funny. <laughs> so the other day, this is not why I fell. Um, I like preaching to this crowd. You guys laugh, and that's nice. <laughs> But the other day, my wife was driving behind me back from church, and we're driving up to towards Valgefon and where we live. And as a joke, on the scooter, I don't know if you've ever seen the Superman on the scooter or on a bicycle where you go lie flat on your tummy and you put your, your feet to the back. So I was trying to be funny. She was, not, she was so upset with me when we got home. She was like, if I see you die with my daughters in the car, I'm going to kill you even if you're dead. Uh, <laughs> but anyway... It was one of those moments, again, we, we were driving out, out from home on the way. Yeah, I had a neat shirt on and everything. I wanted to look nice tonight. And my neat shirt's on, and there's a, there's a bump right out of our house. And I wanted to get some air on the bump. So I, <laughs> and I think I tried a little bit too hard. I gave it some, some petrol. And as I was in the air, I think I turned skew in the air. And I just, I fell. My wife was really upset with me as well. She chased me in, get another shirt, get in the car. We're going to church now. So... <laughs> Sorry, ma'am. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Sense of humor. <laughs> so one of the things that after I got saved, as I was putting more efforts into my schoolwork, there's a scripture, because I'm a Christian, so I need to replace my jokes with Christian jokes. So there's a scripture that I wrote at the end of all my exam papers and most of the assignments that I gave in. And especially when I did not know the answer to a question, I would write the scripture, 2 John 1 verse 12. You can remember it now. 2 John 1 verse 12, it says the following, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. (laughs) Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. (laughs) It's beautiful, eh? (laughs) So, So you're welcome to do that at the end of your paper. I would always just wait to see what the teachers would say. It was funny. Actually, none of them laughed at me. So they were just mostly upset. I don't know. They didn't have a sense of humor, right? (laughs) Um, 
But you know, this is actually, although it was a joke for me, it's, it, it actually is a profound scripture for us. Because the guy who writes this, uh, Peter, uh, John, John says, I can write you a letter. In modern days, that would be, you can watch on YouTube. You can listen to the sermon afterwards. You can get the notes from your friends. But man, I wish I was rather with you. Because if I can be with you, my joy can be complete. There is something different when we come together as opposed to just listening to a teaching online. There's something in the togetherness of God. And you know, we need to become a people that really see that when we gather, there's something special in God, that I can find more of God when I'm with other people than actually when I find Him on my own. And I can find Him on my own in very special ways, but let me rather say in a different way. I can find Him in a different and a special way with the people of God, and that's the way that God created it to be. And there are going to be times in your life where it's going to be difficult, but you need to understand the value of being there in person, actually. So what I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to change it from the first message. The, the bonus to you guys is I preach and make all the mistakes in the 4 p.m. service, and then I can change it for the 6 p.m. service. <laughs> but um, in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the story of the early church, the birth of the early church. There are 15 instances where we read about the church coming together. And so in the first service, I aimed to go through 15 of the points and see what can we learn from Luke who writes this. What are the things, what did it look like when the early church gathered? Why was it so important for them to be together? Because if we can learn from that, then I want to learn from it, right? Um, but I realized that for me, and I condensed it to 13 points, that's just way too much to get through, eh, right? Preachers love to speak and I've got too much to say. So I'm never going to get through all, all 13. But so what I want to do in this service is I want to look at a few of them, and we'll see how much time allows, and I want to trust God to even lead me as I go through it, to highlight some of the gatherings that the early church had, and ask myself the question, what do I see there that I'd love to see here? And how can I give myself to seeing here, and how can we give ourselves to seeing here what they saw in the New Testament church? And that's not only Acts 2, 42 to 47, which is incredible, and it's a scripture that we read often, you Hopefully, you should be able to say it off by heart by now. It's that important for us. It's a snapshot of the early church, that specific scripture. But there are other instances in the Bible where they gathered as well. So, let's go for it. Amen. You ready? All right. Thank you, Amangus. That's a bad joke. All right. Nico is like, Amen. <laughs> Sounds like you're at a Mighty Men conference. <laughs> All right. So, I'm going to look at a few, so now, now here I am trying to figure out which ones I want to, there's, there's two or three that's really on my heart for, for you guys um, that I want to share, but I just want to make sure that I, um, that I get to the right ones. So I'm going to start with this one, Acts 2 verse 1 to 41 is the gathering of the church. Let me give you a bit of context about the church. You know that the Jews always used to meet on a Saturday. They had their Sabbath on a Saturday. And, uh, and that's where they would worship. They would come together in the synagogues like we come together in a church now on a Sunday. Um, uh, traditionally, they would get together on a Saturday. And they would meet all over. Wherever they went, they would put up synagogues. Whenever there was enough Jews, a small group of Jews, they would get money together, build a synagogue, and that's where they would meet. The word synagogue means coming together. It's, it's a verb, actually. We synagogue. We come together. It was never about the building. It was about the people of God coming together even throughout the Old Testament. And then when Jesus died and Jesus was resurrected, 
He was resurrected on the Sunday. And from there, we get these accounts when you read extra biblical literature of the people of God. The, the, they were all Jews. The initial converts to Christianity were all Jews. They didn't see it as a new religion. They saw it as the next step in Judaism. They saw it as the fulfillment of prophecies out of Judaism. And Christianity was about to be born out of Judaism. It wasn't a brand new religion. It came out of the Jews. And what they started doing is Sunday mornings early, you get these interesting stories of you could hear in the town, outside of the town, the Christians would sing songs before the sun would rise because a Sunday you would start working. So it was your working day. It wasn't like now where it's, a, where it's a weekend. It was your working day. So they had to wake up before work in the morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And from there, the tradition started for us as Christians 2,000 years ago. And this has been happening for 2,000 years that Christians all over the world come together on a Sunday to celebrate Jesus. And we are part of that. I mean, we're gathering now, but there are thousands, millions of people all over the world doing the same thing right now at this moment and throughout this day. So it's a beautiful thing. So, but here's the thing. I'm going to start with one of the first gatherings, and that's in Acts 2 verse, 40, uh, verse 1 to 41. And I want to dare to say that this was maybe the birth of the church. As I say, the church, it was an unfolding story. It's not like there was just one moment and the church was born. It came from Jesus having his 12 disciples, his 72 disciples, 120 waiting in the upper room afterwards. It came out of all of that. But this was, this was sort of the birth of the early church in Acts 2. It's a beautiful story. Go read through the book of Acts, especially Acts 2. So here's what happens. Jesus says to his disciples, by the way, um, Jesus had less disciples at the end of his life than we have in this church. That's insane thought. You know, he could have, if he wanted, he could have had thousands upon thousands of people being his devoted disciples. But he's more interested in a few people really catching it and really giving themselves because he knows that that can have a far greater impact than he is just in the multitudes following him for the bread and the fish, <laughs> for what they can get out of it. So there's this group, the 120. They are the devoted ones. They've been through thick and thin with Jesus. Others have deserted him, have said he is dead, he no longer lives. And for 40 days, the Bible teaches us, he appeared to this group of 120. How interesting is that? And he teaches them about the kingdom of God and the coming baptism of the Holy Spirit, teaches them for 40 days. And then he says to them, go wait, because the Holy Spirit is going to come. He actually says, yes, it's good for you that I was with you, but someone better is going to come, the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. It's going to be God that walks with you day to day. Who would have loved if you could have like Jesus with you every day? <laughs> Jesus said, that's not good. He said, I'm sending you something even better than that. I'm sending my, you my Holy Spirit that will be with you every single day. Jesus, while he walked on the earth in his physical body, was only with a small group of people. The Holy Spirit can be all over the world, all at the same time with all of us. Jesus said it's better. All of us can have a personal relationship with Him. Then He says, go wait, wait for me because the Holy Spirit is going to come. And the church gathers in, um, in Acts 2 in an upper room. Now, if I think of a room, I think of a small little place. But the, the houses in the, in the early church, many of them lived in little flats in Jerusalem. It was like small apartments. There wasn't a lot of space. They would build up to find space. But an upper room, I always thought it's on the roof, sort of. But many of the rich people had rooms in their houses where they could have communal or community meetings or church meetings or synagogue meetings. 
So in some of the homes, you could fit 150 people in. Or they would move the furniture and they would make space for it. And you actually, you can find photos online of some of these homes that had big open spaces where they would meet. And so there was this upper room who it was maybe someone in the church's room that they gathered in. 120 people. It's maybe a group like this. Maybe, um, I don't know how many we are. Maybe a little bit less than this. A group gathering in this place. And they're waiting because God said, wait. God said, be together. And as they wait, the Holy Spirit descends on them. And the Bible says it's like tongues of fire that came on them. And they started speaking in different tongues in that moment. And um, they, I want to read to you just one verse from, from that, what, that meeting. It says in Acts 2 verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. So just I'm going to pause there and just dissect this scripture for us a little bit. If it says those who received his word, this is where Peter stood up. So the 120 get together, the Holy Spirit falls on them. There's a move of God. It actually is interesting. I thought that they just went up. But if you go read closely, it seems like they went to a different venue where there was a space for all of these people. It, it seems like they went to the temple specifically. So all of them are asking, what's going on here? And they're like, okay, well, just come and meet us at the temple. We're going to tell you. They go to the temple. Peter stands up and he preaches. And there are thousands upon thousands of people. There were not only 3,000 people there. Thousands of people. Peter tells them about Jesus. Peter tells them that they need to give their life to Jesus, that he wants to be their savior. And uh, it says, so those who received his word were baptized. By inference, is that the word? No, I don't know what the word is. By inference, we can learn that not everyone received his word there. Not everyone responded to it. It says some people were cut to the heart, meaning they were convicted. They were like, this, what you're saying is true. They were cut to the heart and they said, I hear you. I want to follow this Jesus. And those who received this word were baptized. What does that mean? If you are really cut to the heart, if you really receive the word of God when it's preached to you, it will always lead to action. It will lead to obedience. You'll say, oh, I want to do something about this. And that for them was baptism. I want to say, man, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized if you haven't been baptized. We, we baptized over 60 people in the church this year, which is incredible. And I want to see more of that because for me, that is evidence of people not only coming to church, but people saying, I'm cut to the heart. I want to do something about it. I want to take the next step. I want to be obedient. So it says those people out of that group, the 3,000 that, that were like that, that got baptized, they were added that day to the church, about 3,000 souls. They were added, meaning only those 3,000 were part of the church. There were more there, but the 3,000 that were cut out were added to the church by God. See, here's a lesson that we learned from the early church. They didn't see themselves as attendees of the church. They saw themselves as those who were added. They were part of it. You can attend a church, but not be part of it. You can sit here listening to me, but not be part of this church. Those who are part of this church, there's a couple of things. Firstly, Jesus has cut to them to the heart and they've given their lives to Jesus. Now, if you're an outsider, if I can say that, if you're a non-Christian or you're someone looking into Christianity or you're unsure about Christianity or you've wavered in your faith or you're lukewarm, you're very welcome here. I love that you're here. But I trust that at some point you will realize that you are on the outskirts. But there is something much better. God wants to add you to a local body. He wants to add you to a church. 
And for that to happen, you need to receive the word of God, needs to cut you to the heart, and you need to say, what can I do? And that leads to baptism. And as that happened, the other thing that we can learn from them is when that happens, you are actually added to a church. Yeah, man, I want to ask you, if you're sitting here, do you see yourself as added? Or do you still see yourself as an attendee? Because if you're part of something, you give and receive. If you only attend, you only receive. And we don't want people that would only receive. We want people that give themselves to such an extent that they receive, but also give. Where we plow into one another's lives. Amen? Added to that day. The church is built by those who are truly saved. So that's one of the first lessons that we, that we can learn. I want to I ask you, really, I just actually want to say, in a town like Stellenbosch, there are so many churches. And it's so easy for you to maybe go church hopping or be here for a couple of months, be in another church for a couple of months. But at some point, to really experience what the gathering of the saints is all about, to experience the blessing of God when we come together, you need to at some point say, this is where I'm adding myself. This is where I feel like God has added me. I will give myself here. Can you go visit other churches? Definitely not. No, I'm joking. <laughs> you can visit other churches. That's not the point. But somewhere you need to be added. If it's not here, it needs to be somewhere. But you can't be in a, in a home group here and, and in a go to a Sunday at another place or attend one week here, attend another week there. No, no, no. At some point you need to say, I plug myself in here. If I'm added, I'm added fully. I give myself fully, not half-heartedly. Because then God has not given, given you yet. That means not only coming on a Sunday, it means going further than that. A Sunday is such a limited experience of church. It's very limited. You will only experience the fullness of church when you've got a Sunday, when you've got something like yesterday, a gathering where you see the thousands coming together, but also when you meet in a home and there's 10 of you, and when you go for coffee and there's two of you. All of that together makes what church is all about. It's not about the building. It's about groups gathering in those different ways. That's what it's about. If you are added, you need to give yourself to all of that, not just to a Sunday. Yeah, we are the Sunday generation. Are you part of a church? Yes, because I go on a Sunday. That's not what part of this, being part of this church is about. It's about much more than that. You need to be integrated into relationships. That's what being added is truly all about. Okay, let's go to another one. I'm going to just decide which ones. I think I might do a few that I didn't do in the first service. I didn't get to all of them. Um. Right. Let me um, let me look at let me look at this one. Uh, in Acts six verse one to seven, the church comes together again. So now the church has grown. The Bible says three thousand people got saved. It went from a church of one hundred and twenty to a church of three thousand one hundred and twenty. That's quite a lot of growth, eh? I'm like, we've grown to, I don't know, 300, 350 people. And I'm like, oh, God, so many people. How are we going to disciple all of them and, and so on? But this church grew rapidly. 3,120. And after that, more thousands get saved. So it's, it's a massive church in the New Testament. It's like thousands upon thousands of people. But every time, this is interesting, every time we hear of the growth of the church, it happens in like these spurts of growth. I think in between in the week, the church also grew. But there were these times when someone stood up and preached and thousands would get saved. Grow, 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 grow. It would just grow again. There would be these, these jumps. And then at some point, it's almost like there's something that could stand in the way of the church growing. 
And that is disputes among the people. You know, Satan will always want to come into a church and bring division among people. If he sees there's a genuine work of God, at some point he's going to want to turn the hearts of people against one another. And that could happen with offense, you, you being offended with someone in the church. It could happen by misunderstanding. Mostly it happens towards the leaders. The leaders did something wrong. Told this, uh, last week I told a stupid joke. Someone told me I told a stupid joke about women, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, but the lead, I, I fall into that trap. Sometimes I tell stupid jokes, and I'm sorry ahead of time. Okay, forgive me <laughs> for my stupid jokes. But normally what Satan will try and do to stop the work of God, because, you know, it's, it's like this. You can make a little bit of a difference for God. But when we together, we make a big difference for God. It's like, imagine you walking next to the road and someone runs past you. This is you. Someone runs past you. Right. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> huh? <laughs> okay. Someone runs past you. You're not going to feel much. If that person like snorls like Godfrey, Godfrey is really quick. If he goes past you really quickly, you might feel a little bit of a breeze, right? Okay. If I run past you, you're not going to feel anything. <laughs> you're going to feel the, the ground shaking next to you or something <laughs> when I run past you. <laughs> well, you. Anyway, yeah, let me stop there before I get into trouble. <laughs> when someone on a bicycle passes you and they go quickly, whoom. <laughs> Men have to make noises when we speak. You'll feel something, maybe. If they go really quickly, you'll feel a little bit of a breeze, eh? What, what do you call a bunch of bicycles together? A peloton. Peloton, okay. If a peloton, a peloton comes past you, and it's a lot of them, and they go, whoom, past you, you're going to feel like, whoo, what happened there? You're going to hear the noise of the bicycles. It's going to make a difference. There's going to be an impact on you. If a truck drives past you, who of you have had a truck drive closely past you? Have you felt that? It can almost feel like it knocks you off your feet, right? There's an impact because of this big thing that passes you. Now, Satan knows that as well. You as an individual can try and go into the world and you can make some difference. But he knows when, us, when we come together in unity, when the church comes together, man, we can make a big impact. We can make a big impact. The world can feel it. It can, it can, make a, it can have a ripple effect on the world. So Satan will always come and try and stop the growth, stop the life. Stop the expansion of the kingdom of God. Stop the expansion of the church. He will try and do that. He will try and do that to, uh, to us. And he will try and come into the leaders' lives. By the way, please pray for us. Because as leaders and any leaders in this place, Satan knows where to attack. Strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. No, strike the leaders. And I think we've been close to it in this church. Satan has really tried to come in. So anyway, the church is growing. There's this impact. There's this life of God. Things are happening. And at some stage, there's a dispute amongst the people about the, the handing out of food. Because, long story, the early church, there was a food handed out, especially to the widows of the church. And so the, the Greek-speaking Jews and the, Jew, the Hebrew-speaking Jews started debating amongst one another. It seems like at this point, the, the apostles were the, one that were the ones that were maybe responsible for the handing out of the food. So it, it, it does seem, if I read into the Bible there, I think there was accusations brought against the apostles, brought against the church, and there was unhappiness. It looked like it could even be a church split. So what is the solution? When we stop growing, because a church might stop growing at some point, when the life of God is struggling, what happens here? 
Acts 8, the church gathers. They call the church together. This is the solution. Um, where are we? Acts 6. Acts 6, verse 1 to 7. Um, what they do is they come together. Sorry, I don't have all the scriptures here. And they appoint seven deacons. They say, let's come together. We're going to put leaders in place that would, that would be leaders alongside the apostles. And so as they put leaders in place, Acts 6 verse 7 says the following. Oh, you've got it there. Thank you. Where did you get that? Pick, yeah, you can go back to it quickly. Thank you. Go, go back to it and then go come to this one. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So it wasn't people with a degree. It wasn't the most learned. It was to do with people that had wisdom and spirit spiritual people and when they put them in place you can go to that next verse that you just had on there after they did this and the word of god continued to increase and the number of the disciples now they don't use a number anymore after the right leaders were put in place multiplied greatly in jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith you know in the house of god i want to say god needs leaders because he chooses to need leaders. He can do it on his own, but he chooses to need leaders. And at some point in the life of the church, as we gather, there, is, there are going to be difficulties if we don't have people who are full of wisdom and full of the Spirit and are put in place to be leaders in the household of God. If we do that, the gathering will continue and the growth will actually continue. So that is really important. And I want to say to you as a church with us, we need people who would stand up and would follow God and will become leaders in this house, in this church. We actually do need leaders. We need more leaders. And we don't need leaders who will put themselves forward and be like, hey, I'm a good leader. Pick me, pick me. Those are not the type of leaders we want. We want people who would lay down their lives. That's the type of leader that God wants. Want to be the leader of all? You need to be the servant of all. That's what Jesus taught us. The leader will be the one that will wash the feet. The leader will be the one to actually come and say, how can I serve? How can I come alongside? How can, wh whatever you need me to do, that I will do. We need people with that type of heart. Because as that happens, we learn a lesson here. Things, the gathering continued, life continued, as the right people were put in place. Okay. The third gathering that I want to look at is in Acts 8, verse 1 to 13. And... Um, this is an interesting one because what happens here is the church gets persecuted. The church is growing. I'm just, we're sort of going into the book of Acts just saying what's happening here. The church is growing. And as the church is growing, at some point, there's this guy called Paul of Tarsus, Saul. He's the guy that wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. And he's persecuting the people of God. He was not a Christian at that stage. He's killing Christians, putting them in jail. And then as he's doing that, the Christians start scattering and everywhere they go, this is the beautiful thing, everywhere they go, they keep preaching the gospel. And they keep gathering together. When the pressure is applied, they don't say, oh, that's too much pressure. I had this amazing church at one stage. Now I don't have an amazing church. What am I going to do? Woe is me. That's not what they did. They said, I will keep preaching the gospel and I will keep getting together with the people of God. You know, it's so interesting. You can, we could actually pray for this. It would be so amazing. There's a girl that came to the four o'clock service now, you, Alicia. She was part of um, Stellenbosch AM when I was still there, and she came to visit now again. And 
she found a job in Bredasdorp, of all places. <laughs> Bredasdorp is somewhere. <laughs> towards, <laughs> it's towards Swellendam. And then she had a conversation with my wife, and she said to my wife, she, she's struggling to find a healthy church. She knows Josh Jane. She feels like her heart is knitted to us, and, and she's grown. She's found life, and she doesn't know what to do now. She can't find a healthy church. And my wife says to her, well, why don't you plant a church? <laughs> and uh, it's really interesting. We're going to see about it now. I had a chat with her after the service. She came, and, she's, I, and I said to her in the service, we sort of made a commitment, so you must pull in with this commitment with me. I can't do it on my own. <laughs> So, so if you can gather 20 people, we'll come and support you. We'll come and support you. Let's see if we can, maybe we plant a church in Bredasdorf. How cool would that be? <laughs> if we could actually do that. <laughs> it would be amazing. But something in her says, I need to find people. I need to. And I'm willing to even start something. If there's nothing, I'm willing to start something. That's what's, that's what's actually burning in her heart. And as there's persecution, as there's pressure... and you go out, I would love to see more of those things happening. You guys going, either breathing life into an existing healthy church when you leave here, or maybe even starting something new, that that is in you. But you know, before you get there, there are tests that God will put on your your path. Because who knows that that is going to be difficult. You're not going to find this church again when you leave here. It's going to be different. You might find a good church, but it's not going to look like this one. It's going to be quite different. And I want to say there, there are actually things that God is bringing across your path now that will be test to test, like how, how devoted are you to God? How devoted are you to church? And I believe there is. Oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'll stand like this so you don't look at the blood. Sorry. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even notice. Um, oh, did I do that? Okay. I slip out. I feel near. I feel blue in there. <laughs> where was I so yeah here's, here's the thing um, we, we went to the gathering yesterday and we had our two little girls with us and let me tell you that is chaotic if you've ever, if you've ever seen like the gladiator who's seen the gladiator <laughs> what do you call it the coliseum you go in and there's like the roaring lions and like the people driving with their swords and spears, they want to kill you. That's what it's like going into the toddler area, that thing. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. You do not know if you go in there whether you're going to come out alive. You say your prayers before and repent of all your sins, then you go in. <laughs> it is wild. It's wild. You go in there, you cannot hear a word of the sermon. I had no clue what Andrew preached about. No clue. <laughs> because I tried to look after the babies. And it's, it's amazing, like, it was, it was so wild, man. Like, the children, you go in there, and it's just kids shouting. <laughs> and you walk around, and because I'm, I've, got, I've got a dad radar now, I smell poo from a kilometer. Like, I'm like, one of those three pooed. Mom's dad's, there's a poo here. <laughs> and all, all of them are like, okay, and it's nappy changes. It's like, it's chaotic. And then there's another room you can take them to at the back where there's one slide. Kids love slides. Why do you only put one slide with a kid's play area? And and kids don't know standing in a queue. So all of them are trying to climb up the slide at the same time. And there was this one girl. Her dad is Luit de Jager. He's a big rugby player. She's two years old. She's as big as Enray, basically. (laughs) And, like, I'm just so scared because she wants to slide down and my girl is at the bottom. So you, like, it's it's chaos. (laughs) 
I'm like looking after both of them, just making sure my kids don't die. And then uh, Luit's mom goes out and she's like, can you just quickly, uh, the baby's mom, can you just quickly look after the baby, please? I'm like, three of them, all right, all right, I'm here. <laughs> I'm like, it's just survival mode, you know? But those things are good because I'm, I'm devoted to the gathering of the saints. And even though I don't get anything out of it, I want to be there. I want to be there because being there is important for me. And if it's difficult, I'll still be there. Listen, there are going to be so many things that will make it difficult for you to follow God, to still gather. Moving, that's going to be difficult for you. It's going to be difficult. If it's not in you, you're going to struggle. Get it in you. Get the value of it in you. Like we had these prophetic words. There is so much value in us being together because we don't fall when we stand together. We protect one another. We live together. But sometimes it's difficult. You need to get it in you. When you have children one day, there are going to be so many temptations not to come to church. So many, hear me out, valid excuses not to come to church. But so many times we come to church just because we know it's good for us to be here, not because we get anything from it. My wife is an absolute champ. She comes, she's at the back with two babies. She tries to be in for worship. She never listens to a sermon on a Sunday. In the week, she puts on her earphones and she listens to the sermons from Sundays. She does that because she's devoted to what God is doing here. She wants to be here with you guys. There's an importance said earlier, but I, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, exams for me is a test actually, because it's pressure that's applied to you. And my question is, when that pressure gets applied to you, will you say, I'm devoted, I'm still giving myself, even if it's difficult? Well done for, the, for those of you who are here. <laughs> like I really, I know I'm hammering this thing, and I get that some people, but I, I would love to see more of our people. I said it last week as well, because I think if it's really in you, you will make a plan. You will make a plan or you'll try your very best. And I know some people, if you're not here, I know you tried. And then I'm like, cool, as, if, as long as your art is here, I'm fine with it. But I want to say if your art is here, mostly your bum will be here as well. <laughs> there are times when your art will be here and your bum will not be here, and that's okay. But make sure that your art is here. Make sure that you are devoted to these things. So as they went out, they, they actually um, yeah, they kept, kept planting churches. Can I read to you John 16 verse 33? It's one of those promises of Jesus that I've read to you. I'm just waiting for someone to get this tattooed onto them. It's a promise of Jesus. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said you will find difficulty. In this world you will find tribulation. Tattoo that on your arm. It's not all about prosperity. There will be difficult times. Make sure that you are devoted to the people of God and to gathering. I'm going to end with the last one. I'm going to end with um, a last gathering. And this was not just where the church gathered. It's where the leaders of the church gathered. Because, you know, we have leaders meeting. Every week, do you know, we have an, an elders meeting in the church. Every single week. Every second Monday, we've got the men and the ladies together. And we discuss what God is doing. We pray together. We eat together. We discuss the different communities. We discuss people. We discuss what God is doing in the church. Every alternative week, we've got only the guys, the elders that come together and we discuss things. And then we've got leaders meetings. But sometimes in the life of the church, it's only the leaders that come together. And in Acts 15, there was a big debate that happened because some Gentiles, people who were not Jews, started getting saved. And people were like, how does this work? Which parts of the law do they obey? Which don't they? How do we do this? And so what they did is they came together to discuss doctrine. 
the people came together to discuss doctrine. And what I want to lift out for you is the thing about these people is they discussed doctrine of people that they actually knew. It wasn't just an intellectual exercise for them. They discussed things because it had actual ramifications for the people that they led. And we, we live in such a, and, and they took it so seriously, these questions that came up, that the leaders gathered for quite a while to make sure that they were speaking out of the same voice, that when they spoke, they represented God accurately. Because they knew if I stood up in the front of a church and I was not right in the things that I said, I missed it theologically, it will have ramifications on whoever's sitting in front of me on their life. I could see their life being destroyed if I'm not speaking the truth. You know, the Bible says for teachers, there will be a stricter judgment. And they gathered because they saw that. They knew there would be strict judgment. So they, they gathered to make sure they were saying the right thing. You know, we live in a generation where everyone has a voice because anyone can be on YouTube. And if you say something on YouTube, it has no actual ramifications on anyone that you know. So we can wax eloquent, we can come up with profound ideas, but we don't know the people. But you know what? When we gather, when we come together, there's something different because I know you. When you sit here, I know most of you. I know a lot of your names. Some I forget, even though you've told me 600 times. <laughs> but I know most of you. I speak to the elders who oversee you. We speak to your community leaders. We know what's going on in your lives, believe it or not. We try our very best. We pray for you. We care for you. We sit, I, I mean, all of us leaders, we sit with you guys for hours and hours, counseling, advising, looking at scripture. I know you. When I'm preaching, I'm not just preaching because it's a good intellectual exercise. My doctrine and my theology mean something because it has an impact on people that I know. And I want to say, I just want, I want you to, to, to understand that this is so much better than anything that you can find online. The preaching will not be as good as you can find online. Let's be honest. <laughs> no, let's be honest. You'll find people online who preach extremely well. They don't know you. They do not know you. They don't know what you're going through. They don't see you on a Monday or Tuesday and bump into you at ours. They don't. <laughs> they don't speak to your leaders. They should not have a say in your life. Hear me out. They should not have a say in your life. They are not the elders that God has put over you in your life. We should be so careful. I mean, you can, you can go onto YouTube and you can find any sermon that you want and you can let it say anything that you want. Because there's a lot of intellectually proud people out there and maybe not even that, but just people preaching to their own people or just preaching to YouTube. It's just not the same. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians 4.19. He's speaking of the, the people that he led. He said, my little children. He felt like that. They were his spiritual children. They weren't just followers on YouTube. Spiritual children. For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul wanted to see Christ formed in them. And he said that was such a painful experience for him. He worked with them so much it was like the pain of childbirth. That is almost as bad as man flu, I've heard. So it's really, <laughs> it must be really bad. <laughs> I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. There's something different. When I preach to you, I see your face and I change my tone. I see when I'm missing it. I tell a bad joke and someone tells me I told a bad joke and I change it next time. Mostly. <laughs> 
because I love you and I want to see Christ formed in you. That's what I'm laboring for. That's what I toil towards. That's what we as elders carry on our hearts. That's why we gather like this. So I understand that some people will maybe have to listen to this sermon afterwards online. Yeah, it's not the same. There's something imparted. There's something caught that cannot be taught. You catch something when you're with the people of God. Can I, I'm going to end with this. But who of you have felt like this? You stand in worship and you're having a sucky time. It's difficult to worship. And you see someone next to you going for it. And it's like it sucks you in. <laughs> it's like, whoa, if that person is worshiping like that, then I can worship God too. Who's felt that? <laughs> who of you have felt like not coming to church sometimes, but afterwards you're like, oh, that fed my soul. I felt like that. Sacrilege, you pastor, you that feel like that. It's bad. Sometimes. <laughs> Who of you have felt like you don't want to go to community because you've had a long day and you're tired? Who's felt like that? <laughs> I felt like that. <laughs> I felt like that with the elders' meetings. I felt like that with gatherings. I felt like that with Sundays. I felt like that just because I feel like that does not mean that I act towards my feelings. We shouldn't. We shouldn't let our feelings lead us. We should say there is value in us being together. Even if I don't get what I thought I was going to get out of it. I want to be here even if I'm looking after the babies at the back and I don't hear anything. Because there's something that it does for me being with you. Amen.